I was angry at my friends who were mothers who didn't warn me. I was angry at the media. I couldn't see myself anywhere. I felt invisible. I felt totally unseen, like a ghost, even within my family. The joy of a newborn can be so overwhelming. Welcome to Hope to Recharge podcast. Thank you for joining me here again today. Every week we meet here to break the stigma around mental health and to bring you insight and inspiration and lots of practical tips from personal stories or professionals around the world that share how they turn their journey of mental health into healing or to thriving. Together we will break the stigma one story at a time. In mental health together is always better. Thank you for joining me here today. I'm your host, Matana. Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com, the leading online platform for therapy. You can access thousands of therapists one click away. Go check out BetterHelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Get 10% off your first month. Start your wellness now. In this episode of the Hope to Recharge podcast, we welcome Erin Bagwell. Erin is a documentary filmmaker, blogger, and new mom. In 2014, she produced her first feature-length film, Dream Girl, which premiered at the White House. In 2018, she became a mother and began filming her new documentary, Year One, an intimate look at the first year of motherhood through Erin's eyes. It addresses the identity shifts and challenges of experiencing postpartum depression and the everyday extraordinary moments of being a new mom. Erin's story has been featured in four Forbes, Ted, Vogue, The Washington Post, and was named one of Oprah's Super Soul 100, a list of extraordinary individuals that live life intentionally, create great social impact, and bring inspiration to others. Erin was also featured in Apple's Behind the Mac campaign, highlighting some of the most creative people in Brooklyn. In this episode of the Hope to Recharge podcast, Erin discusses her perspective and experience with postpartum depression and the filming of her film throughout the first year of her motherhood. And now, your host for the Hope to Recharge podcast, Matt. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me here again today. We are having a very unique conversation today because the last few months we've been talking about borderline personality disorder. We've been speaking about extreme depression in relationships. This is something that I recorded another episode on postpartum depression. One episode. I think it was only one. And I was so affected by it. It was so overwhelming. And I think my whole experience just paused looking further into it, even though so many people reached out to me about postpartum depression. Mm. And funny is that the person that I'm about to introduce, I don't know how I came across her post. God wanted me to. And it just sparked something in my soul. And I said, I need to reach out to this person, which I'm about to introduce. And I was just telling her before we started recording that something in me is not healed yet from, even though I'm not postpartum depression, but something in me is just not healed, which I thought that I really healed so far. And something is not healed in me from that time when my kids were very little and I was super depressed. So I want to welcome Aaron Bagwell. Thank you so much, Aaron, for joining me here. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. So I want to give the audience a little bit of a background on who you are. We'll talk about that post that I saw. So give me a little bit of um, bio. Where did you grow up? What kind of family? What were your dreams? What were you like as a child? Sure. 
I'm an army brat. I grew up all over the United States. My parents ended up settling down in my mom's hometown of Buffalo, New York, which is actually where I live now. My family and I relocated during the pandemic. And I was always a really creative kid, really into the idea of storytelling and making videos. And I actually fell in love with filmmaking in high school when I was first diagnosed with depression. It was like a form of therapy for me to edit and to storytell. And I felt like as a young woman who didn't have a lot of agency and a lot of confidence and a lot of clarity about where her life would go, being in the editing room allowed me full control over the experience. And I found a lot of power in being able to cast and write and create. We'll go into my new film, but was also a very therapeutic experience to go through. So I'm reminded of that. But studied digital media arts in Buffalo, made short documentaries, short films, and then moved to New York City with the big dreams of making it in the film industry. I always knew in my heart I didn't want to go to California. I wasn't like a Hollywood girl. I was in my brain, like New York City was it for me. Maybe it was Sex in the City or... Mm just those, the beautiful images of the New York brownstones, but that's where my heart was really pulling. I was worked in advertising for about six years before I was sexually harassed and forced myself to quit that experience and step away from the corporate agency life of New York. And I say fortunately, because it pushed me towards my dreams of Mm. being a filmmaker, of eventually making a film about female entrepreneurs that raised $100,000 on Kickstarter to make. We premiered the film at Obama's White House in May 2016. We're actually, this week is our six-year anniversary of the film being out. It's called Dream Girl. It's on YouTube. People can watch it for free. It's a story about five female entrepreneurs chasing their dreams in New York City, building their businesses. And that was such a wonderful experience to make, to create, to learn from. And then I got the incredible fortune also to be able to travel with the film for about two years afterwards. So I made money by speaking alongside the film at companies like Time and Goldman Sachs and NASA and talking to really the leadership teams about what we can do to support women and how we can show up for them and what policies we can change and things like that. And then as the film was dying down, my husband and I decided we wanted to get pregnant and we wanted- You were married at the time when you were doing all this with the- Kind of all happened at the same as, time, yeah. Wow. And how old were you at the time? I made Dream Girl when I was like 26, 27. Okay. My first film. Okay. So you find your husband, you get married all through this. So life is really happening for you. Yeah. I had a, a great return to Saturn. A lot was going on. And then we got pregnant. I was so excited to be pregnant. I wanted to be pregnant. I wanted to be a mother. And then I had my daughter and I was very fortunate that I had a friend who told me, if you don't bond right away, like don't freak out. Like sometimes you're not going to like have that love at first sight moment. And I do, there's nothing more incredible than holding your child for the first time. But it took me a long time to bond with Ginny. And I later discovered in my postpartum journey that I had postpartum depression. We talked a little bit before about how isolating it is to feel, but I was also so angry. I was angry at my friends who were mothers who didn't warn me. I was angry at the media. I couldn't see myself anywhere. I felt invisible. I felt totally unseen like a ghost, even within my family. The joy of a newborn can be so overwhelming. 
Yes, overwhelming, exactly. And so I really felt called to document something and to talk about it. And I would have these little notes in my phone that would say, I want to talk about postpartum rage and I want to talk about my partner going back to work and how I feel abandoned. And I want to talk mm-hmm. about just all these things that really resonated. And, uh, and so I did, I called a friend who was my videographer for my first film. And I said, can you come over and we'll shoot? And I just want to like document how I'm feeling. Like maybe I'll use it for something. I don't know. How old was your daughter at the time? Like how far from the actual postpartum depression is this? When we started filming, I didn't know I had postpartum depression. Oh, you were just confused. It was three months in and I just thought this was horrible and my life was over. And this is what motherhood is. Right. Yeah. Which is when I think about it now, it's so crazy. But how did you have the courage and the strength to even think about anything but surviving? I I think at the time when I invited Mary over, that's the name of my director of photography for the film. I wanted footage of my daughter and I, and at the time I was doing a lot of blogging and I thought, oh, maybe I'll use it for the blog, these beautiful images. Maybe we'll just have it as a keepsake. I really wasn't thinking about like creating something bigger. And honestly, I think part of it was me grasping for something to hold on to. I wanted to say maybe a distraction or meaning purpose, something. Yes, absolutely. Work has always been a huge part of my identity, being an artist, creating. And I think I was trying to make space for something. And then a couple of months went by, my daughter started moving around and my relationship started to change. And I got diagnosed with postpartum depression. I'm looking back on this footage and I'm seeing like a totally different person. And then I'm looking through it through the lens of, of course, I didn't know what I was doing. Of course, this is about survival. I'm trying to heal. I feel debilitated. I have suicidal thoughts. I'm like underwater. And so I thought that was such a powerful experience to be able to look back on my, Mm -hmm. even just a few months before version of my motherhood journey and realize, gosh, it's changing really fast. And the terms of it are changing really fast. And how do I cope with postpartum depression? How do I heal from it? How do I figure out how to fall in love with my daughter and take care of myself while I learn to take care of her? And so the film Year One is a documentation of my first year of motherhood. It shows the highs and lows of the whole process. And through working with Mary and my writing partner, Diana Matthews, we committed to to telling this story and telling this journey and figuring out what it all looks like. When did it go live? When did it premiere? May 4th. And how old was your baby then? She's two and a half now. So it took two and a half years to produce it. Yeah. So I filmed the the first year up until about 14 months. And then really, I took a break from everything for a couple of months. And then last summer really got inspired during the pandemic to kind of work through this story. I felt like I was at a place where I could revisit it. And I felt clear about what I wanted to say and how I was feeling. And yeah, it took about, about two years to complete. And are you, do you feel like you're over the postpartum? Like, did you heal from it? I did. Yeah. I, I, it lasted for about a year. And then I feel like towards nine or 10 months, it felt a lot lighter and it feels significantly lighter and lighter and lighter every month. And I felt like towards the end of the film, the conversation that I had, and there's a scene with my therapist where I talk about reckoning with my motherhood narrative and how do I hold space for and give myself compassion 
for the beginning of my motherhood journey, which was so hard and which was so awful. And so the film shows the, I don't want to say the complete cycle, but from going through it to figuring out how to heal through therapy and through mother circles to reckoning with what we do with this story now and how do we move forward. Do you feel like you ever got joy back? Did you, first of all, I should ask, did you ever feel joy before? Absolutely. I think there's, I think motherhood is full of mundane moments and full of moments of joy. It's hard to articulate it because I feel like, especially with the postpartum depression, I felt so much like I was underwater and so much like I was treading to try to survive. But it almost felt like it didn't have anything to do with my little girl in a way. It's like my love for her was there, but it was hard to figure out either how to express and how to make a life together. Being a stay-at-home mom, seeing her walk for the first time. There are moments of joy. There are extreme highs within feeling, also extreme lows. I experience a lot more joy now, obviously, than I'm out of it. Right. But I think that's what's so complicated about it. Because I remember speaking to a woman that said she thought she was broken because Mm. she didn't understand how you can have something so fantastic and never experience joy. Mm. And she really thought she was broken. Like, what is wrong with me? This has to ignite natural joy. Yeah. And some women really don't experience joy, even though they want to tap into it. Their cognitive mind says, oh, this is a joyful experience. This is so cute. This is so adorable. Oh, wow. But they're numb or dead inside. In the film, I say when I kept hearing everybody telling me to enjoy every moment, it made me feel like I was already failing. Exactly. I think the expectation is 100% joy, right? Right. It's like it should always be at a 10. And I think that's where we do a disservice to mothers and especially new mothers because we're still figuring it out and we're still finding confidence. And it's something that you have to really grow into and you have to figure out your path. I want to elaborate. I didn't have postpartum depression at all. I had regular depression after baby number three, but he was already two. When I had my depression, he was already two. So it wasn't You can get postpartum depression until the baby is three. I know, but it wasn't from that. I know what it was from. It was definitely not from postpartum. My depression lasted for a very long time. It turned into a real mental illness. It wasn't just postpartum. After my first baby, which I wasn't depressed, I just was down because I'm like, wait, this is not fun. This is so not fun. I don't Mm -hmm. have my identity. I don't have my freedom. I have a nagging, colicky, annoying baby. I don't feel extreme love to him because I'm so fatigued and angry. Mm -hmm. Wait, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I'm not a good mom. No one tells you this. No one tells you this. And then you have an identity crisis, right? real identity crisis. Like what's wrong with me. And it wasn't depression. I was still going out, whatever. And I was totally okay. As long as I wasn't taking care of him. I remember one day my husband came home. I think my baby was four months old. He was really a difficult child, a real difficult child. First one. Now I have no experience, right? And I live in America. My whole family lives in Israel. So I don't even have support. No one besides a friend that can tell me what it's like to be a mother. I remember he came home and I said, take him and don't give him back to me. And I was crying and I said, Ari, I'm going to lose my mind. Take him away. And my husband from 
used to sit up ever since then. I said I could then the next day after I cried my head off and I said I was so mean to him. I felt like I was mean to my son because I wasn't showing him the love that I expected to. I was kind to him. I didn't torture him or anything like that, but I didn't feel like I adored his whole soul because I was so tired. And every time he ate, he threw up all over me. I didn't have enough milk and I was struggling with everything. Just everything was such a big deal. And ever since I said that, my I said, Ari, you have to do the night shift that I don't go crazy. You need yeah. to do the night shift and I'll do the day that I know that part of the time I don't have him. And my husband used to sit on the rocking chair the whole night holding him. That wow. he shouldn't. Yeah. And then the second baby comes and she's amazing. She's an angel. She's just an angel. And then I realized that no one warned me how difficult it is to tr- the, just to transfer from being single f- with our own identity and just we don't have to care about anyone. Suddenly we have to shift about to caring about this thing that no one taught us how to take care of. And can yeah. you and when you amplify to postpartum depression, it's even so much greater because the pain inside it's black. It's just black. That's what people mm-hmm. keep on saying to me. I just feel black. I feel numb. I feel empty. I feel like, like you said before, like a ghost. Yeah. It's tough. The transformation, I think, and the identity shift. And I think especially with the first one, it's like an explosion in your life that goes off. Everything is different. And I think it is really complicated too by by the sleep deprivation. And I was just telling someone earlier today that I think one of the most surprising things about motherhood, especially in the beginning was like, how physically laboring it is, oh. your body and, and producing breast milk and trying to breastfeed. And my daughter was similar. She was colicky. She didn't sleep for a year and a half. She was never one of those babies who ate every like two to three hours. She ate every 30 minutes. Like mm-hmm. I was always trying to feed her. Right. She didn't take a bottle. I felt an enormous amount of pressure to keep her alive. Right. It can be so debilitating and really exhausting and and really hard. And especially when, again, you're hearing those stories, enjoy every minute. Mm -hmm. This is the greatest part of your life. These are the best years. Yeah. It can make you feel like you're going crazy. Yeah. And I joke with my friends all the time. My oldest is 18 now. He's going on to gap year in Israel and I'm going to miss him. And I say it out loud and I might be very controversial, but I'll say I enjoy my teenagers more than I ever enjoyed anything about the first year or two of their life. Okay, they're cute for the first few months, but then they're just like, oh my God, I can't relate to you. I don't know what you want. And I want to be able to communicate with you. I don't know. I want you to share with me. I want you to talk to me. I want you to play with me. I took, I think she, my four-year-old or my five-year-old, I don't remember at the time, I went with her to London. It was fun. She was talking. She was expressing herself. A baby, it just wasn't my thing. And I want the message to be out there. You're not bad. You're not evil. You're not broken. You're not less loving if you don't love your baby in the beginning. Absolutely. I always tell mothers I had no interest until she was like six months, until I felt like exactly what you're saying, like, having the facial expression, starting to read the cues, starting to be able to communicate, see her little personality. I think in the beginning, it is really difficult if you're looking for that connection, especially if you have a difficult child to know what they want. I feel like it's only getting you know better and better. My daughter's still very young. Yeah. And a lot of times people ask me, do I have postpartum depression? I don't love my baby. I said, it doesn't mean that you have postpartum depression just because you're going through fatigue and exhaustion. 
and you and it's hard to love something when you lose your who you are so fast because mm-hmm. you lose yourself you lose your shape you lose your pattern you lose your freedom there's so much you lose your sleep you lose your appetite you're always second and you're second or third it's very hard yes there's a natural love that comes and you won't abandon your child if you will that the okay, that's not well and then see like really seek help but don't think right away postpartum just because you're having a hard beginning. Most beginnings are hard and no one talks about it. Yeah. I also would say that it's probably not a bad idea to have some kind of support or a therapist or a space where you can feel. Absolutely. Oh, go to a doctor and ask a doctor. Go to a therapist, go get checked out right away. Don't wait till six months to ask if you have postpartum because there's medication that can really help. There's support. There's certain things that patterns in just with postpartum, like just knowing that you need more support, you need more sleep, you need more help. The Your routine already helps your postpartum. So get the help earlier. For sure. What do you wish someone told you before you gave birth? I really struggle with this question because... My mom actually said another, I think, common cliche. I was complaining about being pregnant and feeling huge, like a turkey who was going to pop. And Mm -hmm. she was like, it's so much easier now. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier now. They're inside. And I I started crying. I was like really hormonal. And I like started crying and I like yelled at her. And I was like, I'm so sick of everyone telling me how hard it's going to be or putting their expectations on me. And I think I was so scared about the birth and the pain and this was pretty far along in the pregnancy that I felt like I could not receive any advice. I feel like it's really tricky with parents and people who are going to become parents because everyone's journey is is totally unique and totally different. And it's hard to know what someone's experience is going to be like. Yeah. I think if I, you know, had to name something, I would say that there's like a spiritual part of my brain and then a very logical part of my brain. I guess I'll share both of them. The spiritual part being that you can feel all your feelings, that if you're happy or you're sad or you're disappointed, that all of those things are part of the motherhood experience. It's full spectrum. That thing about it just being joyful is bullshit. But the second thing I would say is raising my baby in Brooklyn, I felt a lot of pressure to breastfeed and to breastfeed for a year and to do it exclusively. And so my husband did no night feedings. I didn't realize this until I had my baby, but sleep is my number one form of self-care. And even now I try to try to sleep as much as possible. And I'm really intense about my sleep. I would have given up night feedings to some extent. I would have figured out a schedule with him so that I was getting at least three or four hours a night because it was way too much in the beginning to take all of that on myself. I want to add on that because I realized that I started tearing up I realized that I didn't heal completely from my depression when my kids were little. And now I'm realizing that there's a lot of pain that's coming up and it's good because I have to address it. From my early years that I had no clue. Now I come from an Orthodox family. We have kids all the time. Like it's normal. My sister has 11. My other sister has nine. Wow. Yeah. And they're all full-time entrepreneurs. Like literally full-time. They leave at 6 30 or 7 o'clock in the morning and they come home late at night. This is life. This is what it's like. And I felt, and I knew I was different than them. I knew that I was more sensitive. I was always more sensitive. And I took life a little bit more seriously for what I wanted and what I needed. I was focusing 
not what everybody was doing around me. I said, I'm going to do what I want. But still, you just have the baby and then you see when you can get pregnant again and you have another baby. Now, of course, different couples are different, but that was my surroundings. My friends were having babies all the time. And I'm like, okay, fine. This is what we do. I remember when I gave birth, my husband was like, of course, you're going to baby nurse. They stay healthy. They're so, it's like a thousand times better than formula and just pump and, and nurse. Meantime, my baby's throwing up my milk because mm. I'm either engorged or whatever. And I don't know how to pump. I don't know how to do these things. I'm crying. I'm in agony for months. I'm going to lactation consultants and everything like that. I did it for three babies. Looking back, it was the biggest mistake. And I was falling to this prey. Oh, breast milk is the best. I'm like, a healthy mother is the best. Yes. I wasn't producing enough milk. And that's why he was crying. After two, three months, I was dry. And I was pumping and pumping to make more milk. My milk wasn't coming in. It wasn't filling him up. He was throwing up from it because he was gobbling it down so fast. It was a nightmare. Yeah. And for nine months, I suffered. Because I didn't know that I could have a voice. Okay, I guess so. I guess breast milk is the best. I guess I'm the broken one. I guess I have to figure it out. And I remember on my fourth child, it was after my depression and I already healed and I was on a grit. I had a big gap between three and four and I had a few miscarriages. And I'm like, listen, Ari, and I, he's a great guy, really the most supportive husband. I'm not joking. Ever since that time with my first 18 years ago, I have never woken up for a child at middle of the night. And he does all night shifts ever since. Yes, yes. So he's very supportive. Just with this, we were both very naive and illiterate and we just were trying our best, right? Right. And I remember on the number four, I said, listen, don't even try. The baby's not coming near my boob. I remember saying, mm. not coming, not even once. My boundary. It's not. It's dry. Yeah. It's done. Get the formula, tell V. Because I was healing from my depression and the whole pregnancy, I was off my medication and the whole pregnancy, I was working with healers and my mindset because I was afraid of postpartum depression because people said, once you have depression, so postpartum depression is very likely. So right. I was freaking out about it. And I was doing all my mental health work. And I said, listen, it's not an option. I am sleeping. I don't want to be tied to the baby. I need to know that I can go and not come home for five hours if needed. And I don't want to lactate in the middle. I don't want to hurt. I'm taking care of myself. It was the best thing I've done. Bravo to you for having those boundaries, for naming what you need. And you're right. It becomes something you're so tied to in those moments. And you that even just the freedom mentally to know I can leave, I can go somewhere. That's incredible that you got there. And it is such a burden for new parents, especially to feel the guilt of that, of making those decisions. If they're going to get a cold if they don't have breast milk. And it could be that it's right. But if you're going to fall apart as a mother, it's going to be worse. If milk and nursing comes easy for you, God bless you. Yes, of you're course. the luckiest person, really luckiest person. Go ahead, do it. Absolutely. But if it's not, just realize that mental health and a mother that's broken, there's nothing worse than that. Like, and I will say, I think that my postpartum depression started weaning when I started weaning my daughter around that eight month mark is when I finally really my body like had stopped producing. So I feel like it was like both of us working together to say, okay, we're done with this. It's ending and relieving, having the relief of that pressure. I can feel it now in my body it was so rewarding and mm -hmm. so 
exciting to have this new chapter again, to be able to have that freedom. It, It is important to make that decision for yourself. And it's hard to make all these decisions when you're tired and you're in pain and you're having these sleepless nights and you're arguing with your spouse because you're both very triggered all the time. There's no couple time because it's all about the baby all the time. Just be aware. I I want people to be aware and take note. If you're feeling all these emotions, it's normal. It's all new and it's normal. But if you're feeling really down and just disconnected, go reach out to somebody and, and get help because it can really spiral fast and it's scary. Yeah. And one in five women experience some form of anxiety or psychosis, anxiety or depression. And unfortunately, during the pandemic, up to 70% of new mothers are feeling some form of anxiety or depression because of also the stress of the pandemic that we're in right now. Chances are, if you've had a baby in the last year, you definitely need lots of extra support. Where did you find your support online or locally? Today's episode is sponsored by EmotionallySensitive.com. Are you struggling with overwhelming intense emotions? Check out EmotionallySensitive.com's online DBT skills course today. Again, that's EmotionallySensitive.com. Where did you find your support online or locally? I found an incredible postpartum depression group in Brooklyn. It's called the Brooklyn's Mother Circle. And it's led by an incredible licensed therapist named Melissa, who's, I would do a one-on-one session with her in the film. She's featured in my documentary. It was a six-week program. We met in person. This was a year and a half ago before the pandemic, when we could do things like that. It was women who had some form of PMADS and we just got together. There were five of us and we would start the evening off with like a conversation or a topic. And really it was just a check-in to see how everyone was feeling and, and what was coming up for them. And honestly, it was the most transformative form of therapy I've ever done. I've been in and out of therapy since I was like 16. And to be honest, there were so many times that I was too embarrassed to say how I was feeling or what I was thinking. Really? And the women in the room, somebody would say it. Like if I was thinking something in my mind, I'm feeling this way, or I'm thinking that somebody would say it. And so the freedom of being able to feel like I wasn't alone with my thoughts was so powerful. Also to Melissa's credit, she fostered a really encouraging environment. If I was feeling a certain way or someone was feeling a certain way, there was a level of support that the women would show up and say, I think you were doing a good job in that moment, or I wouldn't have been able to do any better. And I think just that level of care was also so nice because I think it's so hard to give ourselves compassion. But when we see someone struggling across the room from us, it's so easy to say, like, you're doing your best. I'm here. I'm proud of you. Keep going. Right. I felt like those bonds were definitely formed there. Was six meetings enough for you? So we did six meetings and then it was over six weeks long. And then I continued with individual therapy. And then during the pandemic, also did some virtual like Zoom circle. So I towards, I had found the mother circle when I was on the brink of my kind of exploring. The details are a little bit blurry as far as timeline, but essentially I feel like it was the push I needed to kind of name and acknowledge what was happening. And then after that circle, I was able to do individual therapy for the rest of the year. 
to be able to work through it individually. How's your marriage doing? My marriage is, is good. I think like anybody right now, it's been a struggle. As you were saying, the beginning of having a baby, there's no real time for your relationship. It becomes this orbit around this little planet of ours. But I will say, I think we've been able to try to continue to communicate really honestly. So important. And I think something that I'm really proud now in my mental health journey is that I'm able to say I need help. If I wake up and I, you have those you know, nights where you just, you feel like you didn't sleep at all and you wake up and my toddler's screaming and everybody's hungry. It's off, right? I'm able to say like, hey, I'm at a zero today what can we do? And can you take a break here? Or can we call my parents over? Or I'm able to raise my hand now. And I felt like in the beginning, I wasn't able to do that. And I felt shame about doing that. And now I'm able to say, some days I'm, you know, not a hundred. And some days I am and that's okay. Both things are okay. Can't stress how what you said now is so important that in the beginning, we were like, oh, I should be able to do it all because I'm a mom and I have to take care. And this is my responsibility. And, oh, I had this baby, so I have to do it all. No, you have to ask for help. You really have to ask for help because it's really a lot. And to be able to communicate that and say, listen, I need your help today. I love the way you put it out. Like, what could we do about it? Not what can I, what could we? It's we, because it's our baby. We need to do something about it. So what could we do about this? Really? Mm-hmm. And I like the way you said it, that in the beginning you felt shame. Most of us go through that. Then we evolve and we try to find our voice and our kind voice and our normal voice and our just request voice with no apologies, right? No mm-hmm. apologies needed. That's something that I think a lot of new moms and even If you're a mom already seven times, you still have to hear this because it's important. I was just at a retreat for women that struggle with mental illness. There were 120 women there. And so many of them told me that it was after baby number, like a lot, like seven, eight, nine. A lot of them were Orthodox. And they said that they were embarrassed to tell their mother because their mother has 13 or whatever children and they will feel like a failure if they're just on number six or seven or eight and they're falling apart. And one of them started crying and she said, my mother said, this is your job, do it. Can you imagine? Yes, I can. And I started crying with her because the pain, that loneliness, the void, just the void. Yeah. So it's important. I mean, hey, I I only had one and it happened to me. Wow get a grip, like get, I don't think it matters what number it is or it strikes you. Yeah. What is your goal? What is, what do you want to do with your documentary? Do you sometimes feel stuck? Do you wish you can be somewhere else? Do you have a vision of where you want to get to, but you just don't know what the first step to take in order to get to that life that you're dreaming of? Many people ask me, what did I do in order to create this wellness that I'm living in? How did I shift from deep depression, from extreme anxiety to a thriving life, to a productive life, to a life full of joy? I put many things into practice and it's every single day. Many of you know that it's gratitude, a healthy mindset, 
boundaries, self-love, and one of the most important things that many people don't speak about, forgiveness. Self-forgiveness and forgiveness to others. Essential for healing. If you want to work one-on-one with me in order to move forward towards that dream life that you have a vision of, click the link below in the show notes. It's a custom-made program for you, one-on-one with me. We will develop a concrete program that you can implement in your life so you can create a better well-being. Click the link below. Looking forward to working with you. And now enjoy the rest of the episode. What do you want to do with your documentary? I want women to know that they're not alone. I want women to know that their stories and all of our complexities of motherhood are valid and they're important and they're powerful. I also want women who are specifically struggling with postpartum depression to know that it's not their whole life. Mm. It's not their whole motherhood experience that it does get better. It does get lighter. I say in the film, I had to choose my life. I had to choose myself. You have to really put yourself first. And then to know that it doesn't make you a bad mom. I also say in the film, I'm not a bad mom because I have postpartum depression. I'm a great mom and I have postpartum depression. We can be both things. I really just want women to watch the film and to feel solace that all of these complex things can be true. Did you do a lot of research before you put out the documentary about other women and hearing other stories? Or is it really based on your own private story and that's it? The film is primarily based on my experience and my story. I do film a mother circle group of friends of mine who agreed to be on camera to share kind of some of the nuances of what they thought their first year would be like. So we do have a couple of other voices. That was something I was really nervous about actually was not being able to speak for all women. I don't know what it's like to have severe anxiety or psychosis or OCD. I really could only speak from my experience. I was very nervous (laughs) to release it into the world and to see how people would react, but I've been absolutely blown away. I, I just read a comment earlier that was like, this is my story. These are my words. I That's am exactly what I wanted to say that people are going to say, oh my God, this is me. This yeah, is it's... me. They're just going to find such validation because it's one story. I think great art, and I've always believed this, is about being honest. And this is a film that I made in the lost sad, empty space of my postpartum depression that I crawled my way out of, that I built and and really dedicated myself to healing. And I rewrote the narrative of what this means for my journey and for my story. It was a really painful process to do. To be honest, I wasn't sure I wanted anybody to watch it or, or to react to it. I made this for me my writing partner calls it my memoir. And that's how I feel about it. I think people thankfully are resonating with the honesty. And I will say, I've also been very pleasantly surprised that women who also haven't had postpartum depression, who just felt the struggle of the beginning identity shifts, have also felt deeply connected to it, which has been a real joy to receive as well. How did you share it? Is it only on social media? Right now, the film is available on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. So um, if people go to watchyear1.com, they'll be able to find it wherever they want to watch it. And it's free. Yep. Right. And it's only 30 minutes long. So I was... That's important. Yeah, yeah. But 30 minutes is, for me, I was just telling 
Aaron, before that the first two minutes I was choking up and I was crying because I was reliving 18 Mm. years ago or 15 years ago. You relive it as if it's happening now. It's so well done, but it's a therapeutic experience because you're doing it with somebody else. You're Mm. not alone. You're not in the room alone on your sofa alone or in the bed alone. You're with somebody else and you're like, oh, wait, she's also female. She's also a mom. She went through what I went through. Wow. Okay. And there's a healing experience. And there's also a grieving time. Like it's a time to grieve and to cry out all the tears that you didn't cry. Postpartum depression can be both ways. It could be that you're either crying a lot or you can't cry and you want to cry. I don't know if you had that experience. I had the experience of depression that I couldn't cry, but I wanted to cry so badly. And I always say to people that say, I'm crying too much. I said, there is no such thing as too much crying. Count your lucky stars that they're coming out the tears. Like just mm. so for me, when I heard the music and the first words and, and just the imagery, was so I love that the music resonated with you. Oh, so my husband wrote all the music for the film. Is he a musician? So you're a perfect couple. A perfect couple. It doesn't hurt. I'll tell you to have a composer. Wow. And to be able to work on it together. It's real art. Like you could see that it's so elegant and it's so you really just your time stops and you just feel like you're back in that space it's special really special you're very talented and he's very talented so how many people worked on it how many in total what does it take to produce such a film it was a small group of us i worked with my friend who i keep bringing up diana matthews helped me write it throughout the film there are moments where i do voiceovers where i'm describing my experience and how i'm feeling that adds to the diary entry vibe of the film i would write many drafts share them with her we would tweak words. We'd have conversations. We try to really distill like what are those important moments that I wanted to say on screen. Is she a film writer specifically? Yes. We've worked together on my last film, Dream Girl. We did a podcast together with over 100 episodes. She just also really knows my voice. I think that's important when you're making a piece like this is having the words come out sound like me. She was an incredible collaborator to help me write the film throughout the journey when we realized the film was about postpartum depression. She helped me map the storyline of, okay, are we going to do the daycare scene? Are we going to get therapy? What are those different moments and points we want to shoot? So she helped guide me and figure out how to tell that story. Then I edited the film by myself. My husband did the music. When you say you edited, what does that mean even? Who's shooting the film? Who's doing the photography part? Mary Perino was the director of photography. She shot the whole film. So she's with me from every single moment from that daycare drop-off to shooting me crying in the shower. She was the only one in the room most times. And so she does it with one just one camera that's it yes there's no many angles like you imagine like in Hollywood it's like all angles but it's done very well yes thank you and then we have one executive producer who helped me fund the film she basically paid for for Mary to be able to shoot it Tracy Chadwell my brother um, Tyler also helped a little bit with the writing the beginning was really hard for me to do because I wasn't sure how much exposition I wanted to give people. He was a big help in figuring out the writing of that part. There's some stop motion animation where I'm flipping the photographs. I don't know if you got to that, yes. to the actual birth part, but he helped art direct that and figure out the aesthetic of how that was going to look and feel. So that was it. It was really just like a handful of people. I did have 
another person audio mix it at the end. So once the film is done, making sure all the sounds that everybody can hear everything and things like that. How can you make this like a financial win? Is there any way, I don't know the film industry, but you put a lot of your emotions, your passion, your experience, your time, your talent. Is there any way as a filmmaker to get some kind of traction somehow? Yeah, I think having conversations like this, having people spread the word. Motherly was a premier partner of ours. They shared the film. We had over 115,000 people watch it in the first five days. So what? that's probably how you found us. Oh my goodness. That's a lot of people. A lot of DMs that first week. And so just trying to create, honestly, I think the motherhood community and network is so strong. Just trying to continue to spread the word that way. We'll see where it goes. I wish I was in the room with you watching it for the first time. Because I could just imagine the tears and the emotion, like once it was all done. Yeah. Hours and hours. And you said it like it took almost two years to say done. Yeah. And that overwhelming with gratitude, with excitement, enthusiasm, also reliving a little bit of the trauma. A lot of it. Totally. Who did you watch it with the first time? The first time? It's funny because I have some people who share, they cry through the whole film, like scene to scene. It just, I think it does release that therapeutic energy. Mm -hmm. And really that's how I made (laughs) made the film. I cried through the whole thing. Right. I don't recall like a, a single moment of feeling that moment of completion. I think especially towards the end, you're always tweaking and feeling it out. And I think especially towards the end, that becomes really dangerous because I think you start to self-sabotage a little. Yes. And you start to think, is this that good? Should I move this scene? Diana helped me with this too of like, should I go back and do this? And yeah, walk away, leave it alone. Interesting. I think I'm still kind of processing that it's over and that people are watching it. From my other film, we had huge premieres, big in-person theatrical events. And so I think part of me isn't totally grounded in the release of it yet until I have maybe that in-person experience. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's just being like watched in the shadows right now, which maybe is okay because this film is totally one where you can hide in your closet during nap time and just have a good cry. Or watch it three nap times because it's too much to consume in the beginning. Yeah, for sure. I've had people share that with me as well. Yeah. What are your dreams for the future? We Like now you're feeling much better. Is your daughter in day school? She started a daycare. We're doing a little part-time when she'll start uh, pre-K in the fall. Honestly, I just, I want to keep working. I want to keep making movies and media. And I'd love to create a mini series or a docu-series about motherhood, about postpartum. I think there's so many other stories to tell. Mm-hmm. I love being in this space where we're unearthing stories about women. I think there's such a rich tapestry of experiences and nuance, and, and I feel grateful to be tapped into it and to be inspired by it. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's, it's special. You look like an artist and you have the energy of an artist. You feel it around you. So mm. you can see you're, you're talented. I am so grateful that you shared this experience with the world. As a mom, I want to thank you. As mm. someone that went through depression, I want to thank you. As just a human that sees so much pain now that I'm a mental health advocate and I see so much pain, I want to thank you for opening yourself up, taking your talent and creating meaning out of your pain, which is, I think, the highest form of just really making purpose 
out of our struggles to take your talent and the pain and combine them and say, here world, I'm gifting this to you. Like, wow. So I want to thank you for that. Really, thank you so much. And every person like you that shares, breaks the stigma, makes it not lonely, together is better, is really holding space for somebody else that, as you said, somebody that people are saying, I feel this is my story. You give validation. Our slogan is in mental health together is better because I really believe that togetherness is so much I could sometimes say even more than therapy because you could be alone in therapy and then you're so alone the rest of the week besides that 45 minutes of the week that you're in therapy because you're holding that secret and that shame or that struggle. And when you're together, someone else is holding it with you. So your movie, can you imagine how many moms, how many lives you're transforming and how many homes you're coming into and you're making a difference? all over the world. That's special. I want to thank you for that. Thank you, Matsuna. And I hope to see many more movies of yours. I wanted to ask you my last question that I ask everybody. Our podcast is called Hope to Recharge. So when you were going through it, this episode, the whole darkness, the, the sadness, the, the not knowing, did you have hope? What a great question. I think I had to find hope. I don't think it was available, like close. (laughs) I think I had a really intense episode. I had suicidal thoughts with my postpartum depression. I had a moment where those thoughts became closer to reality. I had a rock bottom moment where I thought about taking my own life. I didn't see any hope. All I saw was darkness. In that moment, I reached out for help. I asked my partner to come home from work. I sobbed on my bathroom floor. I made a decision in that moment to find hope Mm. and to choose myself and to choose my family and to choose my life. This place that I was in, I no longer wanted to be anymore. I had to hold on to the idea of hope, of the idea that the clouds would pass and the sun would shine. I didn't know if it was there or not. I didn't know if this pain would continue, but I held on to that idea through seeking help, through having therapy, through joining different communities. I was able to find it and it got better. And that hope definitely feels like it's a huge part of my life right now. That's such a powerful statement. What you said, you had to choose to hold on to something that you didn't even know existed, which you didn't know if hope was real. And everybody says, hopefully tomorrow will be better, but you weren't sure that hope was real. So you had to make a choice and say, I am committing to finding hope, whatever that means and waiting until it comes, until I find it, until I see what it feels like. Yeah. You have to trust in that unknown. And it could be very dark, very dark. Do you want to have more children? You don't have to answer yes or no. You could just say, I'd rather not answer. No, I I definitely am am interested in growing my family. And I I hope that I am fortunate and blessed that I can continue to do. And my, my first year of motherhood was tough. It was hard. It was transformative. It must be just like part of the human DNA that I, <laughs> I want to, you know, procreate and that I, I feel like I have more space and more love inside of me to give. And I'd like another go. So we'll see. Oh, you're very brave. Or maybe you also learned what you need to lean on. And you also learned that it passes and you're a different person now in a way. 
yeah, I wouldn't wish postpartum depression on anybody. I, I certainly don't want to experience it again. It's a fear I have. I'm trying to make a pact with myself to continue to be open and honest, to ask for help when I need it. The other thing that's a blessing and a curse about making this film is my whole family knows, right? My parents know, my in-laws know, everybody knows my experience now. I feel grateful in some ways that they're all looking out for me, mm-hmm. that they want me to be healthy, that they want me to have support in talking about having kids. My parents are very vigilant about what kind of support I need and things like that. Yeah, I definitely feel hopeful, back to that word, for, for maybe a different chapter this time. Where can people find you on social media? or your website. I'd love for people to go to watchyear1.com. They can learn all about the film. They can watch it. There's an option to sign up for my newsletter. I love writing about being an artist and a mother and the different musings that come up. And then I'm most active on Instagram. It's just Aaron.bagwell. If people want to follow me there, I'm posting all kinds of who knows what and, and updates about the film too. Thank you, Aaron. And I can't wait to see the next chapter of your life. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. Bye till next time, everyone. Thank you for listening till the end. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. And Mental Health Together is better. You being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com and see what other offerings we have there for your mental health well-being. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Bye till next time. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com, the leading online platform for therapy. You can access thousands of therapists one click away. Go check out BetterHelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Get 10% off your first month. Start your wellness now.